it's Greg Grunberg, uh, Snap Wexley from Heroes, and Commander Finnegan of Yorktown from a uh, little thing called Star Trek. And you are kneeling before the pod. Kneel Before Blog presents... Kneel Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to another scruffy-looking edition of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that failed to calculate the odds of successfully navigating an asteroid field. I'm your host, Craig. First of all, we're here to wish you a very happy Star Wars Day, with May the 4th coming up, happening today, or in the rearview mirror, depending when you listen to this. In a true Neil Before Pod tradition, we are celebrating this landmark in the geek calendar with more talking. This year... It's the one that many consider to be the best up for discussion, Empire Strikes Back. Joining me in this galaxy far, far away, we're short-handed today, so we've just got Angus. Hi, Angus. Why, you slimy, double-crossing, no-good swindler. <laughs> you got a lot of guts coming here after what you pulled. <laughs> great, great intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we will see Lando Calrissian and his younger self in less, just over a month. Yeah, of course. Looking forward to that. <laughs> well, well, that portrayal. I don't know about that whole um, debacle, but um, yeah. yeah. I just want to see young Lando at this point. I don't care about the rest of it. <laughs> just don't care. Much like the rest of the world. There's a Star Wars movie coming out in just under a month, just over a month, and no one cares. Uh, get used to that feeling, I think. <laughs> it's already happened. No one cares anymore. But anyway, uh, we are here to discuss the second... In release order, fifth in series order, Star Wars <laughs> film, The Empire Strikes Back. So uh, thank you for joining for this. And uh, this is widely considered to be the best by many, many people. Um, and the darkest by even more people. I suppose even the people that don't like it would say it's the darkest. But uh, even though the film is quite old, uh, as Spider-Man says, it's that really old movie. Uh, without spoiling it, what are your thoughts on The Empire Strikes Back? I feel like I say this on every um, Star Wars recording we do, but it's one of these films that just feels like it's always been there with me. And even though I can kind of um, remember the feelings of of seeing this for the first time and experiencing it as a child, uh, now it's just you know so deeply ingrained in pop culture and my own experience uh yeah it's just a, it's just one of these kind of um eternal movies now i think and it's interesting how it's gone from being a kind of pulp sci-fi adventure romp into as you've said empire it's now considered the best of the star wars films and it's also usually up there when people are talking about some of the greatest films at least sort of popular movies uh, of all time yeah um, it's one of those things that I kind of don't remember not ever having seen it and not ever having enjoyed it um, I like it because it, it does different things with you know the Star Wars franchise I mean we're so used to sequels just being a a slight variation on the first one but this one completely throws the book out the window and changes a lot about it and you know the the elements that you love from the first film are still there but they change and they mm-hmm. grow and they evolve. And for sequels, I mean, or up to a point, I suppose, for sequels, that was quite rare. You know, and normally they would just be cash grabs where you have the same person doing the same thing 
because yep. people liked it. Uh, whereas this is quite a brave and um, risky sequel, I suppose, because it it takes everything about the original and kind of ignores it or pushes it aside and makes out that, that it's a thing that happened, but it's not. Yeah, and I guess the original was was its own sort of standalone thing. It was a, a kind of um, passion project for Lucas, and then I suppose at the time that he was making that, he had no idea that it was going to go on to become such a phenomenon. So then, the fact that he got to make Empire and that it you know became this evolution of of Star Wars and was the kind of beginning of the uh, of that phenomenon. That, it's it's pretty interesting that it turned in out that way. Yeah, because this is the thing that... Well, I don't know if this is the thing that makes it become a franchise. I, I don't know if there's any tie-in comics or or anything like that between the first and second film. I suppose there might, must have been, or maybe maybe there wasn't. I don't know. Was The the holiday special was between <laughs> Star Wars and Empire, is that right? Well, that's Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that that's the thing that George Lucas rounded up and had destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I suppose by then so it was already because the first one was such a smash hit and such a success that I suppose that kind of um the uh, monetization of it had already begun. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um uh there was probably a bit of um inhibition about what what would happen here because they didn't want to ruin a good thing that they were onto. Yeah, I mean, you could have just so easily sort of Force Awakens it, you know, just made it. <laughs> yeah. There's another Death Star. We need to go blow up the other Death Star. Let's get the gang back together. We'll, you know, <laughs> we'll dress up as stormtroopers, but we'll do it slightly differently this time. You know, they could have just done yeah. that. And, and it would have probably been okay, although that might have been the end of the franchise, I think. You know, the the idea that there's something that's so expansive and so interesting and so intricate is probably why it survives. I mean, I know it's why a lot of people like Star Trek, for instance, because you may have only, in the original series, seen the one ship, the one crew, but there is the prospect of so much else out there. And, you know, I think it was prob. I mean, it must have been after this that the, the expanded universe kicked into gear, you know, where you had... Um, they would tell the story about that bounty hunter you saw sitting in the bar and, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, um, whether you want to read it or not is up to you. But the the fact that it's there and it's something you can think about is it must be part of the appeal. It surely must be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I think that's the main way that so many long term and even short term, I suppose, Star Wars fans have kind of engaged with the um, material is that because there were these gaps between a lot of the um, the movies, and but people. Uh, took it and ran with it whether it was officially or not and created a lot of um, fan fiction and expanded universe content um, that's so many people sort of dived right in and consumed as much of that as they could so they became so familiar with uh, the wider Star Wars galaxy yeah um, I'm sure there was a fan film a Star Wars fan film that was made sort of between the, the first two. Oh, really um, yeah I, I mean I can't find any information on it right now but um, there was, there was definitely a lot of noise about kind of the first, certainly mainstream, widely known fan film was a Star Wars one. Uh, I'll try and find some information on it for the show notes. So we can't really discuss it, and maybe I shouldn't have brought it up in the first place. But you know, I was, I'm sure there was mm-hmm. um, something about that way, way back. But who knows? Um, but yeah, there are a lot of Star Wars fan films, and Lucasfilm has always been gracious enough to uh, say the sound effects are free, 
you know, we don't mind what you're doing as long as you don't profit from it. And they even have that fan film contest that they do every year or so where people can enter their shorts and, they, you know, they win a, a decent prize for it. So they embrace the, or at least they used to embrace the fan culture. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what Disney do about it. Um, <laughs> Probably don't have quite the same approach, but that, I mean, the so that previous embracing of the fans, I suppose, is really what people engaged with and, and felt that the material was theirs as well as yeah. being Lucas's. So even when, you know, you go into the prequels and it's the continuation of the original creator's vision, people, <laughs> some, some people go with it. Some people, uh, didn't quite, um, feel the same way. Yeah. Um, and that's fair enough for a franchise. You know, not, not everyone's going to like everything. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So, shall we get into spoilers? Dig deep and... Go for it. Sound uh, the alarm. Sound the alarm, or the noise, or turn on the lightsaber, or whatever <laughs> editing provides. Right, now we can say what we want. Uh, the probe droid has found us, and we're, uh, <laughs> we have to leave and, and spoil everything for everyone. So, and we kind of alluded to it before, but following up on the first Star Wars is... You know, it's quite a task because there's so much that you can do and it must have been quite daunting to do. I mean, this is a film that Lucas is least involved in. You know, you've got different writer, Lawrence Kasdan, you've got uh, Irvin Kirshner directing it and sort of Lucas is there as a producer, but the it's a very different flavour to the to the first film and it, the, change in, the change of hands does show in the way it's produced and the way it's executed and even the way it looks as well. Yeah, I'd have to agree, and um, I suppose it's uh, some people would point to Lucas's um, light touch on this one as to maybe why it's considered the best. Um, And the theory goes that you know whenever he's uh, kind of reined in or um, other people are allowed to uh, have a bit of creative control over Star Wars, that's when it really shines. Um, I don't know whether or not you agree with that. I think that maybe a few years ago would have been right on that train and sometimes I feel like George Lucas gets too bad a rap for it because I mean, mm-hmm. it is his franchise so he's entitled to do whatever he wants with it to an extent I mean we're not entitled to like it you know we don't have to like it but at the end of the day he's probably he probably got into a situation where nobody was ever saying no to him and he wasn't ever challenged as a filmmaker you know if you look at the, the prequels there's something that there's a really antiseptic quality to them mm-hmm. nothing can go wrong because it's all in a very controlled environment mm-hmm. um and you know you know from the first film that mistakes sometimes make a film you know the, the <laughs> production of the the first star wars film is well documented in terms of just how much of a nightmare it was. I think everybody got sick on set and, you know, like food poisoning or something. And uh-huh. uh, the R2-D2 thing would never work and there was sand everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's all these little problems. But it was having to come up with solutions on the fly that kind of made it, gave it that more rustic quality. So where you have, yeah. where you have a warehouse full of blue screen, you know, what can go wrong? Other than, you know, maybe your actor keels over or something. But other than that, it's just you're in complete control of everything and anything that does go wrong you can fix with CGI so there's no challenge and and then he surrounds himself with people that just don't don't disagree with him on anything so the, again the, the creative process is somewhat hampered by that I mean that doesn't mean I think he made good films after well after this I suppose but at the same time it's 
I don't know. It's, he gets a bad rap for it, but at the end of the day, it's kind of his to do what he wants. And he did expand his own universe in a way that wouldn't have been predicted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. In terms of the plot specifically about Empire, though, um, not particularly complex, really. I mean, the heroes are under attack at the beginning. They split up. They go their own ways. They have their own adventures. Come back together uh, in the same location at the end. There's no big bad Death Star, which is probably a relief at this point, seeing as there's probably uh, however many Star Wars films featuring Death Stars or Death Star equivalents at this point. Um, <laughs> and yes, yeah, pretty low key ending for the for the heroes. Um, what do you think of the the plot? I really like the plot because, as you said, it's very simple, so it's easy to follow, um, and it's kind of broken into two distinct character stories. So you know the characters are split into two groups and eventually they converge at the end, although they're, the stories are very different and therefore they, they, there's different themes they're exploring. But this film is so much more about character. You know, the, there's a lot of little quiet moments where they're trying to fix the Millennium Falcon, so where mm-hmm. they have to talk to each other because yep. there's nothing else they can do. And that tells you a lot about them. And you can contrast that with the first film where... Luke spends more time looking at the setting sun than he does grieving over his barbecued aunt and uncle. So, like, <laughs> oh yeah, but that force theme, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it makes you forget about the fact that he doesn't grieve at all. He just yeah, it doesn't make you yeah. He don't question <laughs> his very strange reaction to that. Yeah, but the first film's all about like let's get the plot moving, let's keep it moving, and let's get this advent. You know, it's an adventure, so yeah, it really faster and more intense. Yeah, it doesn't really matter that he loses his parent figures because without now that they're gone, the real story can begin. Uh, yeah, this, the adventure can begin. Yeah, but this one is all about what these characters do and what kind of makes them tick in a way. So, you know, Han and Leia are stuck in a confined space where they have no choice but to, you know, to answer the tension that's between them. You know, the or mm-hmm. I suppose it's more from Leia's side of, I guess she lets her walls down a bit because Han is teasing her about it the whole first act and then after that she has no almost no choice but to you know but to address it because she knows it's there and that's why she's so hostile towards him but it's it's through the kind of the the organic way they come together that that it works and it becomes believable Mm -hmm. it's interesting because i wonder um as a as a child i i just have memories of enjoying empire even though it made me feel you know nervous and scared a lot because of how the sort of darker themes and i can remember um watching star wars as well and uh you know all the talky parts all the boardroom scenes all that kind of stuff those were always a bit more boring to a kid because you weren't (laughs) all that interested in the the dialogue and the the characters you just wanted to see people swinging lightsabers or flying spaceships and things and then in empire you do have some of that action, but there's far more, like you say, sitting around in huts and swampy planets just talking. <laughs> and I, it, it makes me think, or make me, makes me wonder if I was bored by those sections as a kid and just waiting for the action to happen again, so that maybe this is more of a grown-up take on Star Wars where, where as an adult, you can you enjoy all the quieter moments and the, the character uh, interactions. 
Although I guess the conversations in this film are more engaging. I mean, the scene you're talking about is Tarkin and some of his cronies talking about how the Republic is no more. You know, that scene means nothing. You don't know what the Republic is. You mm-hmm. don't really know who they are. And you don't know what they're talking about. Because if you're a young child, then it's like, hurry up. But, when you, have, <laughs> you know, when you have two characters talking about... Well, talking about the situation they're in, or, or talking about their feelings, or talking about how the ship isn't working, it's all it all feels like part of the same entity. Uh, in the, the same way, Luke learning from Yoda. So he's learning something that's really interesting because it's expanding on this really cool idea of the Force. So it's answering some of your questions that you might have had in the first film. True, uh, and he is talking to a Muppet, so that's more interesting than uh, than some old crusty old guys in uniforms talking to each other. Yeah, yeah. So the I think sorry, the, Peter the, Cushing. I, I I actually love you now, but. Um, <laughs> and, and, the, and his last appearance was almost as a crusty old muppet. That's a shame. Rest, rest his soul. You know, but, uh, he was heavily CGI'd, uh, re- resurrected through CGI. Yeah. <laughs> in, in confusing abundance. <laughs> Another thing this film is a bit unusual about, unorthodox, is the. The opening, so you almost have your climatic action scene in the opening. You know, it's mm-hmm. the biggest action scene in the film. So yep. it opens the film, it sets up the, the stakes. And I suppose that's easy enough when you know there's going to be a sequel. At this point, they'd already planned Return of the Jedi. So they had said, this is the middle point, or this is, I suppose, part one, you know, of a two-part two, two part story that will be resolved mm-hmm. in a couple of years. We know what's happening, it's fine. Um, but to open with the biggest set piece is kind of ballsy because even Last Jedi closes on its biggest set piece. You know, yeah. And opens on a huge one as well, but... Refreshing nowadays when we're so used to a pretty formulaic sort of three-act structure where at the, by the end you know you're just in for at least 20 minutes, half an hour of CGI uh, goodies v baddies, people just chucking each other through buildings and things. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that really kind of resonates and kind of stands out now watching this, comparing it to blockbusters today. Yeah, and the Hoth sequence is just so creative and, and so mm-hmm. fun to watch. And, you know, you've got these Imperial walkers and famously tripping them up using tow cables. It's it's ingenious to think about. Um, yeah, really iconic stuff. Yeah, and it's something you almost take for granted because we're so used to these massive set pieces. But if you think about the amount of work that would have went into the, you know, with the the models and the, um, the blue screen effects and, and just everything that that had to happen to make this sequence work, it's just so remarkable. And that stuff is then not I wouldn't say cynically, but then the experience of of watching that and um, encountering it for the first time on Hoth is really kind of played upon in uh, in Rogue One and also in Last Jedi when you've got similar um, tech, you know, you've got similar walkers and stuff, and it's really just kind of playing back on that and playing with your emotions, kind of uh, reminding you of the, the of that iconic battle in Hoth. Yeah, and the battle itself is, is great because it, it does give you the kind of stakes for the film. The rebels are very much on the run. They don't have the resources the Empire do. The best they can do is kind of keep ahead of them. And it's all about, it's not about defeating them, it's about escaping them. So the the whole speeder sequence is just a distraction. They, they just have to keep the Empire away long enough for them to escape. So it's 
you know, the rebels are prey and the, the Empire are a relentless predator in this film. And I don't think you really get that sense in the first film because it is so small and self-contained and it ends on a massive victory. So, mm-hmm. you know, the and it's a weird thing to think about how it's, yeah, we all won. And it's like, wow, it's, things are worse than ever, you know, in the, <laughs> the second one. You see, you see a different side of the Star War as well, you know, with the yeah. ground combat, the kind of trench warfare um, compared to the space battles and, as you say, this, the um, attack on the Death Star from the first film. Yeah, and I really love all the kind of... the, the way they cut to different parts of it. So you've got Han trying to escape with with Leia, um, which is just before he announced he was... or just after he announced he was leaving because of some adventure you don't see. So... Again, you get the impression that there is something outside of this film that you know you you can experience maybe elsewhere, and um, and it gets to the point where where Han decides that he has to leave, and that scene is a bit of a tragedy because everybody likes him, and even he feels like he's almost found somewhere, and you get the implication that Chewie has sabotaged the Falcon to stop them from leaving. <laughs> it's interesting as well because Star Wars was so self-contained and ends with that victory. Um, we do just kind of pick up in the middle of uh, another adventure in this galaxy and obviously having the the crawl and all that kind of intro allows you to to just dump the audience straight into another um, episode here yeah although the crawl says that the rebels are led by luke skywalker they're not (laughs) they just aren't Uh, he's a small piece of that rebellion i mean he's one of our main characters but he's a small piece of it you know, it's just. I suppose it's. Um, he's he's the hero though, so he might as well be leading them. <laughs> you, as an audience member, should understand that we're following Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and obviously, there's some critters in this. You know, you, well, you get to see the Wampa or some of the Wampa, depending on what version <laughs> you watch, um, which is really cool. Uh, which may or may not have been used to cover up the fact that Mark Hamill's face had changed slightly after a <laughs> car accident. Yeah, I've seen it reported both ways. <laughs> yeah, but the the Wampa scene is also quite significant because that's it gives you a new force power that you didn't have in the first one. I mean, no one levitates anything with the force mm. uh, in in the first film, so it's and you know you get the force theme, which implies that he's kind of crossed another line and you know he's he's uh, moved moved up a level to use video game speak. So he's he's learned something new and. Um, and he's at a point where he needs further training because his open university Jedi course isn't working out anymore. <laughs> he has like two lessons to go on. You know, he's he's, a, he's just trying to hit that remote. <laughs> That's all he does. <laughs> and are there any good theories out there as to how the Wampa managed to freeze him upside down like that? It's a good question. No idea. I always wondered, I was just kind of pictured unconscious Luke being sort of held to the ceiling while the Wampa sort of uh, formed a nice ice cube around his feet. (laughs) The Wampa just holds him until it freezes naturally. It takes a few hours. (laughs) (laughs) Really looking forward to this snack later. I also love how Obi-Wan picks the time that Luke is less likely to believe that he's actually talking to him (laughs) to appear as a ghost. It's like, you know, he's, he's unconscious and delirious. Now's the time. Now I'll yeah. say it. <laughs> I don't know. Is, is, can he only appear to people in signs of times of great distress, or like maybe, maybe, or maybe for the first time we're supposed to think: is he? Is this just a hallucination? Is he really? Is this the force? We don't know anything about force ghosts. Yeah. Well, the only hint you had was you hear his voice. 
Yeah. Um, which may or may not be look hallucinating, but mm-hmm. well, it's clear that he isn't because the advice works. Uh, strange that it's just strange that he picks that moment. I mean, it's a great it's a great moment because it's that typical. It's almost the the vision. You know, he has a vision of something, and and he's in an altered state while he has it, and it's taken away from him when Han comes through the, you know, through the image as well, mm-hmm. when he's uh, recklessly riding about and on his tauntaun. <laughs> And happens upon Luke just by chance. After introducing the idea of Christian hell to the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah, th- there's all sorts of... Uh, I'll see you in hell. Yeah. I mean, they, I'm sure they call someone a son of a bitch in the new one. <laughs> I have to give the credit to that to Paul Rust, although he admitted earlier on Star Wars Minute that it was Neil Campbell that told him about the idea of Christian hell being <laughs> existing in Star Wars. <laughs> Christian hell, yeah. I don't know, maybe there's some other type of hell. I mean, different cultures, <laughs> different words. Yeah. Plus, they are humans. I'll, I'll see you in a stand-in for hell. See you in a, yeah. I don't know, the Jedi must have a... Must have an equivalent, or... Jedi heaven, is that where all the Force ghosts are? Yeah. It's, <laughs> there's, um, well, there only seems to be one religion in the Star Wars universe, so you, just, you just don't know. And there must be others. There must surely be others. There must be. It's a big galaxy. Ch- Although you'd think it was smaller based on how much it all revolves around the Skywalker family. Yeah. Um, I guess the uh, the Jedi one's the one to go for because you definitely get superpowers. <laughs> and, Not yeah. enough Earth religions where you get superpowers. No, none at all. None at all. <laughs> the, the best you can hope for is enlightenment, perhaps with Buddhism. Oh, boring. <laughs> you get that when you're a Jedi anyway. <laughs> allegedly. So, yeah, Jedi's the one to go for. That's why people yeah. keep writing it on censuses. <laughs> well, I'm not sure any of those can lift things with their mind. Yeah, I don't know if they're getting powers just from yeah. filling, it, filling that out in the census. <laughs> filling out the census, hoping it will be recognised as an official religion. Which I think it now is. You don't have to prove you've got a high midichlorian count or anything. No. Well, there are no midichlorians in, in this film, thankfully. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thankfully. Thank, yeah. Thank Jedi God. <laughs> you also get to see like Han Solo use a lightsaber, which is such a novelty. Yeah, that's true. Um, as he, you know, another uh, in an iconic moment, cuts open a tauntaun and says, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> Famously lampooned by Family Guy. <laughs> and... God knows what else. Yeah, robot chicken, I'm sure, and so many other things. Although not the Revenant, even though it has a similar scene. Apparently, well, in my um, half-assed internet research, basically reading the trivia on IMDb, that was a a technique used by American Indians. I'm sure it was. And then you kind of get the next morning where the speeders are working now and they're just waiting, waiting to be picked up by Rogue Two. We found them. <laughs> yeah, and, and Han seems pretty pretty spry about it. You know, he's he's quite happy. He doesn't. He's quite cheerful for that for a morning after a night spent in like sub zero temperature. Yeah, he must be pretty hardy because he just he just brushes it off. We talked about building a shelter, but yeah, I suppose you see him start to dig out a snow hole or something. <laughs> he gives up. Just yeah, this is enough. I'll just go through, <laughs> live through the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's the, that's the kind of calm before the storm, I suppose. It's just, a, you know, in the Star Wars universe, you just randomly get attacked by monsters. It's just something that happens. It's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get, you know, then you get put in a back to tank with a giant diaper and then you're fine. <laughs> I think that's the only time we've ever seen a back to tank as well. To this point. Yeah. Does, uh, do you see Darth Vader's back to tank in Rogue One? I don't know. He's like in a giant lava lamp or something, you know. <laughs> I guess that makes be. sense, Mustafar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's what he was doing in there. Um, but I can remember that that scene, Luke in the in the back to tank, being quite affecting when I was younger as well. I don't know what it was what it was about it. It's this kind of I don't know medical kind of uh, clinical horror. I don't know it's something about him being submerged like that and being hooked up to all these pipes and. I just remember feeling having quite an uneasy feeling watching that as a kid. Yeah, and then there's a similar thing in um, Starship Troopers. Yeah, you're right. I'm not as familiar with it, but I do remember. Yeah, he's in exactly the same sort of thing. Uh, also, that it's quite significant, that sort of sequence, because uh, it's the only scene in the film where the, orig- the surviving characters from the original film all share screen time. Hmm. So you got Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie, R2, and uh, 3PO just, you know, chatting away. Um, <laughs> and Luke um, celebrates getting a nice big kiss from his sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's bizarre. Uh, yes. Oh, complicated we'll Star Wars con- relationships. We'll continue to gloss over that. <laughs> <laughs> just continue to gloss over Just don't worry about it. It's just this. <laughs> yeah. But the, that seems kind of striking because I think a strong theme in this film is family. You know, it does factor into different things in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you've got is you've got a family. You know, they they're all orphans essentially. You know, they all don't have anyone else, so they they've kind of formed their own version of that. You know, and the I mean, the rebellion is the place or the group they belong to. But when they're you know together, they're this family. You've got and everyone has that kind of particular role in it where. Han is the mischievous older brother, you know. Um, Luke is just—I don't know—he's just a, a bit of a naive child, uh, and and I guess three PO is like the the disapproving butler. <laughs> Every good family should have a disapproving butler. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air type family. Aye. Yeah, every uh, everyone. Jeffrey three PO. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and Chewie's just. I don't know. I guess he's the one just trying to keep the group together. Because <laughs> the family pet. Yeah. Well, everybody likes him. <laughs> and uh, there's, but there's some really horrendous dialogue in that scene. You know, laser brain and oh yeah, uh, laugh it up, fuzzball and all that stuff. <laughs> scruffy looking nerf herder. Yeah. Are you calling scruffy looking? <laughs> no one knows what a nerf herder is. <laughs> Not even it's, the band named after it. No, it's almost like, it's like the many Bothans died line. Or Bothans. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just leave that one. Why is their death significant? And, you know, I don't want it ruined by the expanded universe to see a picture of them or anything. I'm just, <laughs> well, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just gonna, Oh, don't worry. It's all been ruined many times over yeah, by now. That's it, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, Nerf Herder is a thing that I could look up. I'm not going to. I'll put it in the show notes, but I'm not going to look at it. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. 
Um, and I almost feel like the the Falcon being um, ruined or you know it's in a state of kind of disrepair is almost a is almost a metaphor for the kind of way the family fractures after this point because they you know they go in two different directions. Uh, but it's also that that lived-in quality to the universe. You know, it's a good ship, but it's showing its age now. It's not quite as switched on as it used to be and uh, it needs a lot of care and attention to get it to work. It's true, and um, maybe in an upcoming film we'll see it in a more um, newish state because even Lando refers to it as a hunk of junk later on. Yeah. So even as long ago as it having its previous owner at hunk of junk. Yeah. And it seems like Han Solo is a massive chain smoker because the walls are all yellowed with, yeah. well, I suppose with age, but, you know, because you see it in the Solo um, media that's been released so far and it's very much very pristine and clinical mm. looking inside. And, you know, it's as it would when it's off, when it's brand new, but the fact is here it's seen a lot of mileage. Yep. And the hyperdrive just doesn't work. Yeah, that's kind of a repeating uh, theme or a bit of a... There's a repeating times where they try and activate the hyperdrive and you just get that <laughs> sound yeah. effect. And I like the subversion as well, because in the first film, when they get to hyperdrive, it's they're safe. That's it. They're, they're fine. You know, yeah. They can't be followed. They can't be tracked down. They're, they're good. And then you get that, we're going to do that again. We're going to be safe. And then, nope. Undercut. Yeah. So, it's not my fault. It's not Han's fault. It's not Lando's fault. Nobody yeah. wants to claim responsibility for the hyperdrive not working. No, and uh, Han just runs back, run, runs through the back in the middle of a space battle <laughs> to, do, to do some tinkering. Yeah. <laughs> Until casually flying into an asteroid field. <laughs> He's mastered that flying casual. <laughs> it's, that sequence is just great. It's just... You know, everything from the Falcon escaping is just so um, so kinetic, so fast-paced and, and, and so tense because you just, the, the Empire again are just creeping up on them and just yeah. getting, getting closer and it's it's clear it's only a matter of time and they can only evade them for so long. Mm-hmm. And of course Vader is fixated on um, finding them. I guess because he thinks the Millennium Falcon will eventually lead him to Luke. Although the obsession isn't really explained. No, I mean, I'm trying to think how much he... I suppose he's he, he's encountered Obi-Wan, so he knows... He knows something's up. Yeah, he knows that Luke is associated with that ship. Yeah. Because of the first film. And although he's not on it at that point. Um, so he must be able to sense that. But maybe he's sensing Leia as well. And mistaking that for for something maybe else. yeah it's never really um, that's not sort of touched upon until uh, Jedi is it yeah when he realizes oh no that um, yeah yeah it's Jedi yeah and Jedi realizes that Luke has a sister yeah so it's possibly sensing something um, or he's just you know he doesn't like to let things go that's also possible <laughs> well yeah he's pretty relentless as you said and yeah I've, you know people have referred to him as like the the attack dog of the empire because uh, even though he's he feels like the kind of leader of, of a lot of the empire he he's really just kind of hounding down various 
important rebels that he's yeah. after. Vader in this film, he's one of the best villains ever put to film, in my opinion. Just the, mm-hmm. you know, just the the way he's completely in charge and everyone's so terrified of him, but no one really thinks that, he, or nobody seems to speak out against what they're doing, even in private. You know, they don't seem to think that hunting down the Millennium Falcon's a waste of time. And uh, you get the bit later where they're actually offended that he's called in bounty hunters. So it's almost like he doubts their skills, you know, which he does. I mean, everybody that makes a mistake gets killed. Yeah, he does a lot of force choking over video screens and not, and in real life as well. Yeah, well, I think um, repeated or it's repeated incompetence that's um, that's punished. Mm-hmm. The, is it? Um, is it Piet? He he never gets killed, even though he makes mm-hmm. a, a few mistakes. Although it's clear the mistakes aren't his fault, I suppose, and he's always doing what he can. You know, he always follows the right protocol. Um, it's just that Han is better in in that situation. But there's other people dropping out of hyperspace too close to the system. Um, I don't know, losing them again. So, uh, yeah, he just strangles people. It's really, it, <laughs> and you get to see under the helmet as well in Darth Vader's relaxation egg. You do, uh, only from the back of his head. Yeah, yeah, but I suppose that would have been a bit of a sort of teaser from the first film where you've seen this, you know, baddie who's completely covered head to toe in armour and the cape and the mask the breathing and everything and yeah. and you get this wee peak just underneath it's quite um, it's quite menacing yeah you get that um, yeah you get a bit of an answer to oh that's why he wears that suit also quite like whenever someone talks to him when he's sitting in his relaxation egg as you call it uh, <laughs> because the way it's shot I mean I don't always notice camera movement or, or camera placement but the way is you kind of you see through the the egg or, you know, you see you kind of, you're inside it looking outward. So it gives you an impression of mm-hmm. what Vader's perspective is and, and it's a little bit of vulnerability from him because this is the only place where he's not in agony, I suppose. Yeah, it's also interesting that his officers are approaching him while he's in there. You'd think that this is a sort of place where, you know, you just don't go, don't bother Vader when he's in there. <laughs> So you'd have to, you'd have to feel pretty nervous when you go in and you're, you're delivering some news to him because you've got to think, you know, two out of three times guys go in there, they they get choked and get carried out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess when they're hunting the Millennium Falcon, it's you can make an exception on giving Vader an update. You know, he's I suppose yeah. he really wants to know urgently. That's and true. He, he might he might have let them know. Yeah, and he doesn't care what ships he loses in the process. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I, I really love the bit where he's talking to the three guys, uh, and one of them just holds their arms up and then disappears. <laughs> you know exactly what went on there. That's it's just such a funny moment. Just, I mean, they're all dead, and that's not that funny. But <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just amusing that they're they're so ill-equipped for for this search. Uh, even though the an asteroid field would. Um, would not be that violent. Is that uh, is that physically inaccurate then? Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, things in space don't stop until something stops them. So <laughs> yeah, so they can't be flying around like that. Yeah, so um, they would, you know, if they were flying around so violently, they were dr- drifting apart so um, so far that they wouldn't be there wouldn't be an issue, unless it's a recently like recently destroyed stellar mass or something like that. 
I guess. Does that hold true if the asteroids are made out of potato? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they are made of Because apparently one of them is. At least yeah. one of them is a potato. <laughs> That's proper rustic. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I do love the asteroid sequence. You get to see a bit of piloting and... Uh, and then they they literally end up in the belly of the beast, yeah. Which is which is brilliant. Yeah, it shows real confidence in the special effects because if you think about how complicated it is, it's not just. I mean, not that animating something isn't complicated as well, but like the model work, there's so much effort you need to put into getting uh, getting it to work. And you know, they do a they don't just fly into the cavern; they flip. You know, they do that flip before mm. flying in. And it's like there's nothing nothing to. No other reason to show that than it's a visual flourish. But yeah, true, and it's it's so it's so well done that it even gives you like a nice feeling just watching it because it's so it's so Star Warsy. It's so the Millennium yeah. Falcon. Yeah, and it does tie into well, the flying into the, the stomach of a creature does tie into that sort of theme of potentially being swallowed by darkness. You know, because um, mm. Luke is risking that, and they're quite literally being swallowed by. Well, it's not evil; it's just a creature. But, um, but it is something that that can destroy them. You know, that they they are inside something that can destroy them. So, Luke must be the only main guy who doesn't get swallowed by a creature in this movie. R two yeah. ends up getting spat yeah. out. He does, poor guy. Um, I don't know why he doesn't just use his jets. But... <laughs> <laughs> or is this maybe the point to stop working? Yeah, I think so. They're full of like swamp gunk, and they don't work anymore. Exactly. It should, we should be asking why he never used them to traverse all those strangely flat areas of Tatooine. <laughs> yeah, uh, he doesn't need them in the Death Star. It's all pretty flat in there. It's, it's pretty yeah. uh, conducive to droids kicking about. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's the head cannon. His they've stopped working for that reason. Yep. Yeah, because he falls in, and the the look on Dagobah stuff. Um, I really like it. I said earlier, you learn about the Force, you learn about the Jedi, uh, although it's also quite dark in its own way because Obi-Wan and Yoda are both using Luke for their own agenda. So, you know, they're they're basically um, training him to the point where they can point him at Darth Vader and hope that he kills him. Yeah, and, and telling him, you know, you're going to need to be able to balance upside down and lift a few things. Yeah. Which doesn't come into play later, really. No, it but, just gives him the opportunity to try to lift an X-Wing and fail at it. Yeah, because he doesn't understand that size matters not. <laughs> yeah. Even though, like, in the prequels you see Yoda struggling to lift heavier things than other things. He must have been preoccupied. So the weight must have some kind of bearing on it. I think we've been permanently joined. Sorry. It's okay. This podcast is dedicated to all people who enjoy the sounds of people eating. And in in true Neil Before Pod fashion, Natalie crashes in uh, <laughs> at some point. Although She's so edgy. Yeah, that's <sighs> that's. People were starting to miss it. I think. Hmm? <laughs> people were what? Yeah, I say people were starting to miss it. It hasn't happened in a while. They've been listening yeah. to every podcast and, and <laughs> always expecting you to show up at some point. <laughs> the tens of our fans will be so disappointed. The tens. 
I think you're being Joke. generous. There's actually hundreds. <laughs> Craig, we do not need specific numbers. There are hundreds of you, and you're all beautiful. Thank you. Like, like Netflix, I refuse to release the stats for public consumption. Yes. Yeah. Is this the point you, at which you say hello to Paul and Jason Isaacs? Oh, where's Jason? Who's Jason Isaacs? Who's Jason Isaacs? Doesn't matter. He's an actor, but never mind. Oh, um, he's an actor. Yes, okay. yes, he's a <laughs> Lucius Malfoy. I think that's who his name. <laughs> why are we? Why does he like us? He will now. <laughs> <laughs> he's been retweeting this episode at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was complimentary about him in the Discovery podcasts. There you go. So there we go. Because yeah. mm. he was good. Yeah. Um, so the Force. We're learning about the Force. Uh, Luca's being constantly lied to. Or I suppose it's lie by omission, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and he also encounters strange, confusing Force tree slash cave. He does. He goes into the cave. Yoda says to him, you won't need your weapons, but he takes them he anyway. Takes them anyway. Yeah. Proving, such a that, proving that he may be his own worst enemy. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. And some weird slow motion kind of new technique for a Star Wars film. Is it seen again? Probably not. Although the the Lego um the Lego level you, you actually fight them properly and there's all sorts of steps you need to do. Now that everyone knows that Luke sees his own face inside the helmet, I think it seems obvious that he sees his own face. But I can remember being confused by that and just <laughs> You know, when I was younger, thinking, "What, what is going on here? He, he's fighting, he's fighting Darth Vader. Who's that in the helmet? I don't know." <laughs> I think it's supposed to represent his possibility of going to the dark side and the fact that he's very impulsive because he takes his weapons in, even though he's told not to, because he thinks he knows better, and that attitude could lead him down a really dark path. What do you think he would have seen in there if he didn't take his weapons? I don't know. Weapon. Maybe maybe a giant mirror where he snaps his fingers <laughs> a lot of times, and then, <laughs> and then asks his parents to step forward, and then it's him. Mm. Wouldn't that be a great idea? Imagine someone did that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> toe. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Uh, it's also Yoda later on, like brings up his failure in the cave, even though the lesson isn't really understood because. He doesn't reflect on it at any point. After it's like, so here's what you did wrong, and here's why it's wrong. Remember your failure at the cave. It's like I don't understand my failure at the cave, so I'm, I'm off. <laughs> I'm gonna get this snake out of my X-wing, and I'm gonna leave. Yeah, and Yoda's kind of uh, relaxed his rules since when he met Anakin Skywalker as well. He's just like, ah, yeah, fine. Do a few handstands. Let's run and jump a bit. Swing from some vines. From some hairy vines. Yeah. Go in a cave, and maybe a bit later you'll be ready to face him. Oh wait, not now, not now, not now. Well, the idea is he's not ready, and Yoda tells him that he's not ready, and warns him that dark stuff could happen if he leaves now. So, as far as Yoda's concerned, leaving now would be a mistake. And I suppose Han and Leia are an acceptable compromise for him um, losing Han and Leia is an acceptable compromise because ultimately it will be for the greater good even though Leia might be that other hope yeah he knows that there is another 
Although I think he's talking about Ezra Bridger from the uh, Rebel series because he's still kind of kicking about at this point. Or he I don't know anything talk- about that. <laughs> he could be talking about Ahsoka Tano, who's also still t- kicking about at that point. I don't know anything about that. Oh, Anakin's former apprentice. So there, uh, he might be talking about them. Who knows? Need to ask him. <laughs> what do you think of Yoda's introduction? Because he's introduced as that kind of. Well, he's this wizened figure who decides to play as, you know, this this weak and annoying stranger. Just he's hilarious. Yeah, I wonder what, now you take into account all the the Yoda appearances throughout the double trilogy and beyond, uh, and it seems a really strange decision from him. <laughs> oh, okay. to just start so like funny. going through his food and chucking stuff around. <laughs> this is your template for Yoda so this is who yeah. he is you know uh, and I like that playful aspect of him it's something you don't see very much of in the prequels you see a little bit here and there uh, True. and even in Last Jedi when he shows up he's that playful yet meaningful wise old figure well it's because uh, everyone takes everything so seriously I would say that you know I would try and explain it away by saying he's been in hiding for 20 years but then he's 900 years old. years old so I don't know if you'd go that crazy after like what would be the equivalent of I don't know still 20 years a few, a few days in your life well not maybe, really it's still 20 years maybe he's just sick of eating cool. swamp soup and just I don't know people show up and he's like I'm just gonna screw with these people why not yeah. <laughs> although it could be the because it's kind of a it's a trope or maybe not as much as a trope but it's a, it is a thing in other media where um, someone who you know, someone as a test for uh, to see how people treat the, I guess the weak, um, or the apparent weak. Uh, they pretend to be, you know, they pretend to be that just to see what the reaction is. And obviously, right. the first thing Luke does is pull a gun on him, which isn't a great start. But yeah, he yeah. just he comes across as this like impish, annoying figure at first, and I think um, it's almost Jar Jar levels of irritating. But yep it doesn't linger for long enough to ever become irritating. It's just this funny thing that Yoda does. Yeah, it's true. And he does then become quite ominous quite quickly when yeah. he's telling Luke that he will be scared. He will be. Yeah. And, oh, do you think, will uh, be. and do you think uh, R2's beeps are, oh, this is such classic Yoda. Because obviously yeah. he goes <laughs> Like, I know this guy, even <laughs> though he's beating me with a stick right now. <laughs> well, can imagine when they're on the way. It's like, we're going, to the, we're going to the Dagobah system and look for some guy called Yoda. And it's like, oh yeah, I know him. <laughs> yeah, we and him go way back. <laughs> and then they get there, and it's like I'm not even going to tell Luke that this is Yoda. This is too yeah. much fun. Oh, R two, you trickster! They're both yeah. pulling one over him. <laughs> yeah, and even the only one doesn't remember owning a droid. I know. There's so much deception in these films. Yeah, just people are just lying about everything. It's very weird. Wars. <laughs> oh. Can we link the um, Star Wars chain that Lenny made at the end of this? You'll have to ask Craig if I put mm. it in the show notes. Because we're Scottish and we're podcasting at Star Wars, I think that we should do. Hey, okay, I don't know what this is, but okay. You can watch the whole video of him creating it, it's fantastic. You'll have to send me a link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, okay. so Yoda um, teaches Luke about the Force, you know, the kind of it's not quite as uh, succinct as Luke's three lessons, of which he only delivers two uh, in Last Jedi, but it's it's pretty kind of, here's your week-long intensive course about the Force. 
because we don't have time for all the Jedi training and there's a whole he he says that he's too old at one point which for some reason Lucas drew as being uh, they must be eight years old they must be removed from family life before this yeah sounds a bit like the church though or a cult it's a bit culty it is a bit culty and I always think that the Jedi probably not an organisation you want to be affiliated with Although the theory is that by that point in the trilogy timeline, the prequel timeline, that's when you know they'd really kind of fallen apart from the ideals of whatever Yoda was practicing on Dagobah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's all sorts of weird things that Luke gets told. So he get, I mean, he gets told about the the dark side, how it's the quick and easy path, and uh, and when Luke asks him if it's stronger, he says no but it's easier although I suppose he, he omits all the cool powers you can get by going to the dark side mm. you know the, the dark side they get lightning we get nothing um, <laughs> do you like because it's because we call it the dark side though right and it's to, I guess it's a story told from the perspective of the Jedi right but even the Sith refer to it as the dark side yeah, yeah. according to the story which is told by the Jedi right so like yeah, but they themselves. What if actually the dark side is the light side? Well, or what I if think, they're all dark sides. Well, the the dark side, the, I guess it's called that because it's it's so connected to such, I guess, negative emotions like greed and um, hatred and and all those negative things. Whereas the light side is, you know, more about embracing more positive things and more altruistic things, um, but. As Obi-Wan says, it's all a matter of point of view and I don't see why um, I don't see why someone couldn't at least dabble in the dark side without becoming completely corrupted by it. Uh, I guess you they, think like somebody who would like try drugs once though and then end up like totally out your mind? Very possibly, yeah, but that's why I've never tried. <laughs> it's like, I'll, just, I'll just see what it's like and then before you know it, I'm um, because like, I don't know. I don't know you've what got unlimited is. power. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I know this is the wrong movie, but I feel like this is a really good thing that they're addressing in the newer films. You know, I'm on Team Kylo Ren. <laughs> Fair enough. Because you recognise that having organised cults or religion is bad, and so you know, going back to basics. Yeah, but he's also not a good guy. You know, he's how can you say that? Well, he's he's pretty okay with genocide. You know, he, mm. he does he does want to go in and kill all of the of the resistance. Yeah, but that's because they're bad. <laughs> so contrarian. <laughs> but the I do think there's merit in the whole looking into the dark side thing and and not being afraid of it. I mean, that's that's still the mistake that's made in the. Um, even in these films, it's the whole light versus dark debate, and you know the the thing is, Luke does embrace his inner darkness a bit. You know, he he becomes angry, and that's what lets him get the upper hand on Vader in the next film. I mean, in this film, it's almost that um, his fear is what gets the best of him in a lot of ways. But um, it's embracing the light, the light side that, that kind of saves him a bit. You know, when he um, focuses his mind and calls out to Leia, for instance, that's what saves his life. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he'd, you know, hung there stewing over what had just happened, he would have just died. 
because he wouldn't be able to think of a way to to get out of it. So there is that perspective, but I also feel like the Jedi ultimately failed because they they were afraid of the dark side and they just considered it a complete no-go area and they completely misinterpreted what was light versus what was dark. You know, it's something we'll get onto in a couple of years where we talk about <laughs> prequels, but, you know, attachment being forbidden for a Jedi? Why? Yeah. You know, that, that kind of stuff. It's got all this weird kind of forbidden fruit about yeah. it. Yeah, and you probably have a lot less Sith if you, you know, relaxed a bit. Stop treating the, the Jedi Order like a call center, and people will, uh, people will appreciate you for it. I found a supposed Japanese proverb about fear. Is it and fear I, leads to I, anger? Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Oh, no, it's not. But like, I feel, I feel like that all of these could be taglines for like Star Wars. So, fear is only as deep as the mind allows. It's kind of accurate. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, on to kind of Luke's confrontation with Vader. Um, it's about him. He has to keep a clear mind. He has to, you know, he has to remain calm. He has to, you know, remain focused on the battle because Vader is so far above him in terms of power level and skill. And certainly at the beginning of the battle, uh, Vader is toying with him. You know, he isn't even trying. And when he gets him into the carbonite pit, it's it's effortless. It's only after he escapes that he's like, "All oh, right, okay." Impressive. It's, it's, it's dialless. Yeah, most, most impressive. impressive. Yeah. Let's say let's dial this up a notch. You know, and mm-hmm. he becomes much more. I mean, he's always terrifying, but he becomes much more. Uh, you know, fixated on taking the kid gloves off, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. I have another quote for the end of the podcast. <laughs> Pretty good. Unless you want to know, Craig. Uh, no, no, let's uh, leave the <laughs> listeners in suspense. <laughs> Excuse me while I relocate to the edge of my seat. Ooh, <laughs> get comfy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, throughout the entire fight, Luke is fighting on the defensive, and Vader is... I mean, there are points where, where Luke does hit him in the shoulder, and he has a really funny reaction to it. <laughs> but, mm. you know, the, it's a one-sided fight, completely one-sided, and um, Vader taunts him by... Uh, you know, by keeping telling him that he's beaten and asking him to embrace the dark side and all that stuff. And and there is points where Luke is clearly tempted. You know, Mark Hamill's facial performance is really good in ter- in conveying that kind of conflict about remaining calm versus not remaining calm. <laughs> yeah, but by giving in to the absolute terror he's probably feeling. Yeah. It is quite intimidating. I mean, that whole thing is just well shot, you know, when Vader's introduction silhouetted against the, yeah, the, the darkness. and So much iconic imagery in it. I think the, the set design, obviously if you watch this film enough times, you end up just noticing so many amazing things about it. But then yeah. even just the, the visuals, just the, the lighting, all that stuff of this, that duel makes it so kind of iconic. One of the most, probably the best duel in yeah. any of the Star Wars films. And... Yeah, just so many great lines. The whole iconic scene. Yeah, Which although part? he does have a Vader does have a kind of lame jump down the stairs, which looks, <laughs> a, bit, which looks a bit dodgy. Just you no, know, it's it's almost like Batman. You know, the capes open and he. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and this um, this battle or this this uh, duel has the the reveal to end all reveals, where Vader tells. 
Luke that he is his father. And uh, and it's all a big shock. I actually remember my reaction the first time I found it out. I don't, or certainly the first time I remember finding it out. I, mean, yeah. I was like, no, he's, he's, that can't be true. Yep, I, I, that's I impossible. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it might be something that Vader would lie about. But mm-hmm. I don't know why he would lie about it. Yeah, I think it's probably because you as a as a kid just don't want it to be true. And it and I think Hamill really sells it as well and it's just, just so great. All the the whole exchange is amazing. Even watching it, you know, for the however many time you still you still feel the same way. Maybe not quite the disbelief, but the um the anguish from uh, from Luke. Yeah, and it's one of those early examples of big reveals not being spoiled by marketing or whatever else. You know, the, yeah. uh, David Prowse wasn't told what the line was. Uh, I think it was just it was just Mark Hamill that knew, in the, certainly in that out of the entire cast. So, um, so he was the only one that had to react to it because I think David Prowse says, "I killed your father, uh, father, or something like that," or "Obi Wan mm. killed your father." Something like that. Uh, so unless you were unlucky enough to be waiting in a line when Homer Simpson was coming out of the <laughs> cinema, <laughs> you shouldn't have had it spoiled. Yeah, that's. Um, <laughs> I love that clip. I do love that clip. It's just so funny. Just spoiling it for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a great reveal. It's one of cinema's greatest reveals. You know. Every, Everyone remembers it. Everyone thinks about it. Even people that don't like or know Star Wars that well will in some way know about this particular scene. Because there's always those really crap TV shows where it's like the top no. 15 most cinematic moments it's, in all of cinema. It's history. arguably the most famous line and scene in all of cinema. Arguably, and, yes. Yeah, I th- it, it, if someone hasn't seen Star Wars, they know... I think they know Luke, I am your father. Although it's, yeah, Luke, I am your father is not the line, of course. Yeah, they think they know that, but um, that's like, that's what, what, I'm sure that's what someone would say if you You asked them about Star Wars and they knew absolutely nothing else about it. I am your father. Sums up an entire (laughs) series of films. Okay, so then what is it? No. I am your father. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That, that is the actual yeah. line. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. No. It's not true. Impossible! Search your feelings. You know it to be true. No! No! It's one of those famously misquoted lines. Yeah. Along hmm. with "Beam me up, Scotty," which was never actually said. So, arguably, which one wins? I don't know. It's not about who wins. <laughs> Then don't make a competition. I think I think that's um, I think that's a, a really accurate thing to say in a in a situation where I've given an example from Star Trek and an example from Star Wars in the same breath. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's not about who wins. It's about it's about just being there, being iconic. 
And uh, Cloud City has more stuff going on as well. Um, although, I guess that's the you know it's the most powerful thing because the the final confrontation in this film is very much a personal confrontation, which you can contrast with the the big set piece moment earlier in the film. And you know it's it's about the emotion rather than the um, r- rather than the the actual fight itself, which makes it screeds apart from anything done in the prequels because you're invested in the fight, whereas in the prequels it's all, uh, just a bunch of jumping about. Uh, swinging lightsabers no one really cares what's going on because no one you know you're not invested in this hero villain relationship but here they spend that and and it's the only scene they share in the film and they spend that time they they build a relationship between them very quickly mm-hmm. and then the reveal and you've had to as well you've had to witness your other leading man being frozen in carbonite and at this point if you haven't seen the rest of the films, you've got no idea what's going to happen. So he, and that's like that's the last action Han gets in this film, ends up frozen and taken away. And three PO gets shot and blown to bits, and somehow yeah. he's able to just be put back together. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. You would think it would be very, very difficult to rebuild him from that. Not for Chewie. He's just kind of plug and play. It just takes it as a side project. Yeah, yeah, um, and Han, you know, Han being frozen, and it's the idea that it's not, it's nothing personal and it's nothing significant either. It's just we're going to test this, and we might as well use it on you because you're here. You know, it's significant to the audience because it's he's potentially dying, and you know maybe you've read something in a newspaper that Harrison Ford doesn't like Star Wars that much and might want out of it. You know. I don't know. I don't know how widely reported it was, but you could just imagine it would be on a comic book resources. It'd be like, you know, spoiler wants out of Star Wars. Click here if you want to know who that is. And, and, and oh. then you read the comics comment section and find out who it is because you don't want to give them the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> or is that just me? <laughs> that is exactly how you would do it. <laughs> That's exactly how I would do it. Yeah. But please give us traffic because we're not like that. We're not clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and obviously it's almost the culmination of the, the Han and Leia relationship at that point as well, because you've got the the bit where Leia admits that she loves him, and he's just like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and, Another incredibly famous line yeah, and moment from this series. Famous ad lib, I think. I think the line yeah. was, I love you too or something, but uh-huh. Harrison Ford famously didn't like speaking Lucas dialogue. I love you. But yeah, it's, it's iconic. And then they riff on it in the next film, which, you know, it's like, nah, nah, it was cooler when I said it. <laughs> and it's the introduction of Boba Fett, of course. Someone I Fan don't favorite. care about. <laughs> and who has had his voice replaced in some versions of the film. Yeah, being made more Clooney. Yeah, well, George Clooney. Uh, George Clooney, yeah. The issue I have with that replacement is that there's no effort put into the vocal performance. So it's clearly, whatever the actor's name was, um, the name escapes me, the New Zealand. From the guy. from the prequels? Yeah, yeah. Is it Tamara Morrison? Yes, it is, yeah. Um, but it's clearly, they, you know, they caught him on a coffee break or something. <laughs> filming, you know, filming just read something. us some Empire lines, will yeah, you? Yeah, just, can you just read this? And it's, so the, the original voice actor, whoever that is, when he says, um, you know, 
what if he dies he's worth a lot to me and it's there's something kind of angry in the way that he portrays it it's like you know for whatever reason he's been hunting Han Solo for a long time and the you know this prize is um it's what he wants and he doesn't mind standing up to Darth Vader but then the reused line is just a you know it's it's a haphazard yeah we do, we just want this to match up yeah kind of replacement bit throwaway yeah but the you get a bit of character there you know he's um he's a bit miffed at this arrangement and he doesn't mind telling Darth Vader that he's not happy with him so the you get the impression that there's a pre-existing relationship and that Vader actually respects him which is a guess why he's so fan favorite yeah yeah and then yes it all kind of goes downhill into a sarlacc pit but um (laughs) there's also the bit where he says you know vader points at him and says no disintegrations as if to say (laughs) and no disintegrations (laughs) and it's it's that kind of implied history and again as i've said before it expands the universe in really really subtle ways it just gives you that impression that yeah this film isn't all there is there's more where do you think Vader goes to to hire his bounty hunters? He puts a puts an ad on like Space Craigslist, <laughs> Space Gumtree, and a bounty hunter wanted considerable reward. Is it Bosk who's standing there with the the sort of talons on his feet? Yeah, and the robot guy. Yeah, he's like he's got his feet just dangling just enough over that pit so that the the officers below can sort of look at them disgusted. Ooh, who's this guy? Yeah, bounty hunters. We don't need their scum. Yes, sir. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's as I said, when the bounty hunters are brought in, it's um, they're almost offended. Yeah. Or in fact, they're completely offended. It's it's like you know a couple of stranglings we can take. But, but Vader losing faith in their ability to catch the Millennium Falcon. Should be a signal to the audience as well that, you know, before the, the Empire was the big bad and, you know, they were the worst of the worst. Yeah. Whereas now even they have to call in some crazy robots and monsters to do their business. It's just outside contracting, you know, outsourcing <laughs> just to, to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. Now, although it's, it's funny, as soon as the bounty hunters show up, they, they do find the Millennium Falcon. So it's like Vader's like, okay, that's fine. Don't need you guys anymore. We'll pay for your bus fare or whatever. But <laughs> take something from the buffet and get out. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Uh, you got free coffee. I don't know what you're complaining about. Please leave. We don't need you anymore. Yeah, and Boba Fett also obviously sees through the garbage ploy. Yeah, did he? Was he? Was Slave One in with the rest of the garbage that was getting dumped? I guess it must have been. Because I wondered how, like, where is that stored? Was he, like, did he manoeuvre his ship in there? Did he, did he tell, like, he didn't, he probably didn't tell anyone he was going to do that. And so they were yeah. just like, right, dump the garbage and he just sort of floats out there with it. Or maybe he detached himself to a slightly lower point of the Star Destroyer. <laughs> just flew around and no one in the Falcon saw him. <laughs> well, they only have one window that looks outward, you know, and although they were looking at the Star Destroyer, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose at that point, um, they they could only see in front of them when they were sitting on, relatively speaking, sitting sideways on the. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, Fett could have got around. The the logistics aren't hugely important. No, 
that's just the sort of thing you start wondering, you know, when you've watched this hundreds of times. Yeah. yeah. Was he hiding in the garbage disposal chute? <laughs> what kind of giant garbage do they have? Is it? It must. It's all been compacted into these big lumps. How do you hide a spaceship in there? I don't know. Yeah, but Slave One is just that good, apparently. Yeah, yeah, uh, and obviously it's Boba Fett that leads the Empire to Cloud City, which uh, you know gives us our uh, insight into what Lando's like. He's kind of a, a very much, very much a, an opportunist, um, a bit of a coward as well. He'll just kind of sense whatever way the wind's blowing and go with that. Yeah, sell out his friends. Yeah. So it's it's very it's really funny when he's like I've made a deal that will keep the empire out of here forever and then the door opens and it's the empire. <laughs> what kind of deal is this? I don't get it. But uh, and obviously the um, well, eventually he decides that the deal isn't for him and that he made a mistake. You know the, the deal is getting worse all the time. Yeah, he flips once again. Yeah, um, although he does he does pull off a cape quite quite well. Billy D. Williams does excellent cape. Yep. Rocks that cape. Yeah, he does. He's a smooth operator. He's a very smooth operator. As soon as he, as soon as the layer shows up, he's he's right in there. <laughs> what have we here? <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a creep, to be honest. <laughs> Moving in on his friends, Carl. <laughs> Are they established? Uh, yeah, they're pretty much a couple by this point. Are they? Are they though really? Well, they're, they're very I think she's free. She's still she's free. She can do her shorts. You don't think that cozying up to someone inside the belly of a space slug and being interrupted by your golden butler isn't established to your relationship? I don't know what you. If you think that you're about to die, then, then <laughs> of course you're cuddled up to somebody. Like mate. well, at that point they didn't think they were going to die. They thought they were safe. Oh, well, maybe they were just happy that they were safe. But, but anyway, uh, Lando immediately mooches in on Leia because he sees her, and uh, and Han gets all territorial about it. This is so like the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> is it though? Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is. Yes. Yeah, in what way? In Here we go. <laughs> if Leah was like a piece of meat, and one of them is like Scar, and the other one is like hyenas. <laughs> go on. So okay. What? So is Scar and throwing? Cut. So someone is Scar. So someone's throwing Leah to whoever the hyenas are. No, they're just fighting over the meat. <sighs> Oh right, okay. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure I follow your logic, but okay. It was a throwing comment. Yeah, uh, I don't know, uh, Angus. You're very, you're very much a fan of Lando Calrissian. You've spoken favorably about him in previous podcasts. So, so what is it about Lando that you idolize? Well, I mean, first off, the cape. I've been a I fan of capes. For as long as I can remember, uh, two moustache can't go wrong with that. He has a nice smile. Yep, uh, he's got a great voice. 
Um, and, you know, he comes around in the end. You know, yeah, maybe he kind of flip-flops on his friends a little, moves in on... He <laughs> Moves in on his friend's girl, but, steals you know... Steals Hans' clothes. Steals his clothes at the end. <laughs> but um, in the very end, he comes through. And we've got a friend who's called Lando, so, like... It's kind of like we think about him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Lando, and I'm sad that he's missing from the new films. Yeah. Don't know where I'd like he to is. see more Lando. Yeah, I well, think the character is dead now. He's in two or three episodes of Star Wars Rebels, voiced by Billy D. Williams. William December Williams. How could you not like <laughs> a character played by a man with that name? And his name is December. Yeah, I didn't oh, know. Oh, Seaham Beach. And he was um, he was also not Two Face in in Tim Burton's Batman. Indeed. And he got paid a lot of money to not be Two Face, and it's in a sequel. He put a dent in that budget. Oh, nice! Ha ha! I get it. I understood that reference. <laughs> Multi-universes, so crossover many. potentials. So many riffing references. <laughs> yeah, but Lando becomes like one of the gang, and it's it's good that they introduce new characters as well. You know the. Obviously, it's part of the history of these um, the characters we already know because he already he knows Han from sometime in the past. Uh, apparently, the Millennium Falcon is is taken from Lando in some way. Mm-hmm. Although, all the marketing for Solo so far suggests that that's not the case. I think we'll the Falcon. Have to wait and looks, see. It looks like it belongs to Woody Harrelson. <laughs> and if you're listening to this podcast in the future, you already know. You already know, yeah. What do we know? Uh, well, nothing so right, far. Right, the contents of Solo. Oh. Yeah, the film that I certainly don't want to. I don't have that much interest in. But I have I'll a song it. that we can um, play for like the end of that podcast, though. This one or the Solo podcast? The, solo the inevitable podcast. Solo podcast. The inevitable Solo podcast. Maybe Avengers we should all record our own monologues for it, and then it truly will be solo podcasting. <gasps> oh, Craig, I like the sound of that. <laughs> I do I like know. the sound of that. Maybe I'll just wear a fake moustache. Why? No, grow your own. Grow my own. Yeah. In less than a month. Yeah. Wait, why moustache? What's going on? Lando. He has a moustache. What, in solo? I imagine so. Yeah. Is he coming back as well? Yeah, played by Troy Barnes. Mm. Played by the young Glover, whichever Glover is the young one. Is it Donald? That's Donald. The one? Yeah, Danny's the older one. Childish Gambino Calrissian. <laughs> Hello, I like Childish Gambino. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Cloud City stuff. Uh, it's quite funny that there is a meal uh, between... <laughs> Darth Vader and Han Solo and Leia and Lando and you don't get to see it so you don't get to see how Vader eats or if he just sits there as everybody else eats you must have some sort of attachment for that mask you must have yeah, some kind of straw. well there was a note in the script for the first one where he's supposed to like drink coffee or something like that <laughs> I didn't know that yeah, he like brings it. He force levitates a cup over to him or something, and then he drinks coffee. <laughs> he doesn't meet the guys around the water cooler. So, <laughs> what 
what's been happening. <laughs> but I really, yeah, I mean, a robot chicken did that meal, and uh, it was as awkward as you might think. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'll try and find that clip. But uh, I imagine, I wonder what the real meal would be like. Just, you know, them having to sit down to dinner, making small talk with Vader when they know that he could kill them at any moment. It could have been a really tense moment that we just don't see. Maybe they don't eat anything, and that's why they don't show it. Yeah, I'm well, pretty happy with not seeing that. Yeah, well, Vader says we would be honoured if you could join us, and then they both they all walk towards chairs. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much. I'll just have a seat. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, cool. What's for dinner? What, what's the chef cooking up today? You know, it's like I can die later, but you know. Does Darth Vader have talking furniture? No. Huh. Does yeah. James Earl Jones sing "Be Our Guest"? <laughs> that would be marvellous that would be we should tweet on that yes Craig go and tweet on that uh, okay not right <laughs> now but okay yeah uh, does James Earl he doesn't he doesn't sing in the Lion King though no. I don't know but like you could legit tweet him tweet him <laughs> tweet him right now because he might respond to you before the close of this <laughs> and that would be fantastic I would say it's unlikely <sighs> Don't, don't go in with such a negative attitude. Be optimistic. Just what, just accosting James Earl Jones with her, with her nonsense. Um. Yeah. Okay. He's probably sang it in the shower or something. So like. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. What do you think of uh, the introduction of old Chimpies, the Emperor? See the holographic guy. Chim- old oh, Chimpies. See the hologram. Uh, the hologram. Think, yes. The hologram of an confirmed. the hologram of an old lady who um, has chimp eyes. <laughs> She's got chimp. <laughs> to create the emperor, they have an old lady with chimp eyes superimposed over her own eyes. I don't understand. Before it became Ian McDermott. Are you serious? Yes. What? It's what I don't understand. Always takes me by surprise when it happens because I'm so used to seeing the more up to date version. I I don't understand. The original special effects. Yeah. To create the emperor, old lady, hood, chimp eyes. Are you being serious? Yeah. <gasps> and some weird like disembodied, inhuman sounding voice. Yeah. Yeah. What the beep? Because what? I don't understand. And for anyone who likes, I was there too. The podcast with Matt Gurley. There's an episode where the guy who did that voice, I can't remember his name now, tells us all about his experience. Why was it? He went into a recording booth. Was it? He went into a recording booth, recorded like six lines, and then. No, but he's really intense about it. Like he's really method, and I think he's does like cons and stuff and he maybe only recorded two or three lines but but even just kind of getting into character and saying his opening line he, he, he still takes face? all these years later he still takes very seriously and he should be what does he say there has been a disturbance in the force congratulated yeah and then there's something about the son of skywalker yeah um I don't, know, I don't remember. Walker. I don't remember what the dialogue is. It, it's almost a pointless scene, uh, other than establishing that there is an emperor, because yeah. you know, there's an empire. So you don't, you know. That, I mean, 
But then the everything time. that came after and before is so kind of focused on Palpatine yeah. that it's kind of strange that this is his introduction. Yeah, and the special edition, it changes the dialogue that makes it seem like Darth Vader doesn't know who Luke Skywalker is. Mm. Yeah, because Vader's dialogue doesn't change, but his does. So it ends up not making much sense. So, what does Skywalker actually mean? The name? like It's just his name. Is, yeah, but what does it mean? Um, I don't know. It must have, like, a meaning. It's like here on Earth, we've got people whose name is Walker. Yeah. He's from the sky. He's a Skywalker. What kind of sky? Like, the sky? No man's sky. He was almost a star killer, so... Yeah. What? What do you mean? That was one of his er- names in the, an earlier draft. That's not very subtle. No, it's not. Death Star uh, Killer. Death Star Killer. Yeah. Uh, Star Killer is a name that belongs to two things in the Star Wars universe. Star Killer B. Yeah, there's that monstrosity. Yes. And Force and Unleashed. Yeah, Darth Vader's secret apprentice from the Force Unleashed. What? So, in classic Lucasian style they managed to reuse a lot of the names because I think a lot of stuff you know he had ideas for didn't use or ended up not going with and then recycled stuff and called somebody else something or a planet or yeah what have you exactly how come yeah uh, and this film also has a, a fan favourite character who only appears for seconds talking the about guy. Lobot uh, no, but he's cool as well with his uh, backwards visor thing. You talking about Will Rohood? Is is the if it's the ice cream guy? Then yes, <laughs> Will Rohood, <laughs> the guy escaping with an ice cream maker. It's like I don't know. It, it, it's his family business. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all he has left. He needs to go and, and set up his ice cream business once again. So I can't get out of here. I can only save one thing. It's going to be the ice cream maker. <laughs> do you think he I makes it understand. with like? Do you think he makes it with like blue milk? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> now in green. <laughs> now in green, he makes. He has many different flavors. Green has Two. always existed. It's just not been something that we've been shown. Well, you have to find some pretty strange sea beasts to get green. You do. Or um, was it not said somewhere that, that like this stuff that Luke was drinking on Tatooine was like condensed milk? So that's why it's blue? <laughs> Never heard that. Uh, I can't remember why, I'm, why I've seen that or where I've seen that, but... Uh, yeah, the, it makes sense because they're on like a desert planet and... You know. Sounds like a lie. They would need they would need stuff to keep for a longer period of time. So tinned milk. Tinned milk. But what do they farm? Moisture. Moisture. Uh, like water moisture. Yeah, they farm moisture. With their moisture evaporators. So they farm water in the desert. <laughs> yeah. And they can't they, grow anything. Someone's got to do it. I guess they must extract it from the air. Yeah, but what I mean is, you'd think that if anyone could grow anything and not need condensed milk, it would be the moisture farmers. <sighs> well, if you still don't have anything to milk, then you might have a problem. 
What about yaks? Do they have yaks? They have banthas. That's pretty much a yak. But you know, Tatooine doesn't appear in this film. It's the only Star Wars film of the original six. Where and Tatooine yet here we are appear. discussing moisture farming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're 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 mining Tabana gas from the sky in this film. I don't know yep. what Tabana gas is, other than it's highly explosive in Rogue Squadron. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. like helium. Uh, I'm not yes. sure. It is. Yes. Uh, we don't get the scene where um, where, where Chewbacca sucks down some Tabana gas and his voice goes high. <laughs> oh, now I want to hear that. <laughs> It's in the special, special, special edition. He'll do that in solo, probably. There'll be a whole bar where they do it. Yeah. <laughs> Tabana gas makes the voice go hang. I do want to kind of see that, yeah. <laughs> only for only with Chewie. Only with Chewie. It has to be Chewie. No one yeah. else. Don't care about anyone else. It has to be Chewie. Or maybe 3PO. No, no. <laughs> it wouldn't work on 3PO because he's an android. He's got no lungs. <laughs> but he is Duh. capable of having a nervous expression on his face. The That's true. And he can be shot up just by putting your hand over his mouth. Yeah, but that's because he understands human gestures. That doesn't mean that he would have the capacity... Or speech is deactivated by or that's where covering that sensor. Mm-hmm. That's where the speaker is. <laughs> so oh, they're just... Oh, he can also be turned off just by... Turning him off. But yeah, tap on the back. <clears throat> yeah. It, so can people. I suppose. They just don't have a switch back on. I wonder if it's a Star Wars version of the nerve pinch is, you know, turning 3PO off. Mm-hmm. So derivative. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 3PO spends most of the, the climax of the film on Chewie's back with his head on the wrong way around. Reverse Yoda. Yeah. Is that what he's in a bag? Uh, he gets kind of he's in a bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then it's like the Wizard of Oh. Can we think of like a, a some sort of like theory where it's like Star Wars is actually the Wizard of Oz? Yeah, if you uh, played Dark Side of the Moon at the exact same time as Empire Strikes Back, it links up perfectly. Who would be Toto? Artodito. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah, Dorothy can be Dorothy Luke Skywalker. Luke, Luke Star. The Wicked Witch is Darth Vader. To die. Um, I suppose. I suppose if you got Darth Vader wet, he would. Um... Oh my God! Chewie is like the lion. Just the um. The Tin Man is you. And who's the Scarecrow? You're only saying that 3 is the Tin Man because he is like made of metal. Who's the Scarecrow? Han Solo. He doesn't have a brain. The one that Leia will <laughs> no, miss he most have of a all. No, he doesn't have a brain. I'll miss you most of all. And then the other two are just like, mm. eh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll miss you most of all, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nailed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Guys, I think we've got something here. Yeah, n- never mind uh, comparisons to the Hidden Fortress or anything else. There's a bit of an Alice in Wonderland kind of 
feeling as well because Luke is talk us through it. Different world that he doesn't understand and is completely alien to him. Hmm. And then off with her heads himself. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Although, um, I mean, we haven't even discussed. Thinking. Yoda and Alice in Wonderland would be like the um, the Cheshire like cat, like the Cheshire cat or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he would be like the Munchkin. Oh no, it'd be like Glinda. He'd be Glinda in uh, in uh, the Wizard of Oz. I suppose he would. Which one's crushed by the house? That would be the Wicked Witch of the East. That would be um, Tarkin. Uh, <laughs> are you a did, good witch or a bad witch? Did the Muppets do uh, The Wizard of Oz? The Muppets? Yeah. Did they actually? Yeah. Did they? And was Miss Piggy Glinda? Maybe. How have I not seen this? Because if she. Or was she Dorothy? Can we watch it? Because, because if that was the I've case. I've only seen then Treasure Island. Yoda has already been in it. What? Frank Oz. <gasps> Audible gasp. Yes, The Muppets Wizard of Oz is a 2005 American-Canadian fantasy television film directed by Kirk Thatcher and starring Shanti and The Muppets with supporting (laughs) roles done by Jeffrey Tambor, Quentin Tarantino, David Alan Greer and Queen Latifah. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So which part in that film did Miss Piggy play? (laughs) I don't know. She's wearing a pointy hat. So it's got to be a witch. Is she the witch? Ooh, but Yoda's like actually the witch. the witch. Is she green? Uh, she's a pig, so no. It's not easy being green. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's um, the good to, witch of the north, apparently. Uh, so she is a witch. She and the also wicked the wicked witch of, witch of the east. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and she's also the wicked witch of the west. <laughs> <laughs> north, east and west. Yep. She's all of the witches, apparently. Isn't Glinda from the from the north? I'm the good witch. I'm the good witch. From the anyway. South. Maybe well, we're so far off topic, and yeah. we haven't even discussed the Imperial March yet. What a piece of music! <laughs> oh no, wait, it's oh, oh. Uh, Miss Piggy is also Glinda. Yeah, <laughs> she's all of the witches. Can you do that? Because it'll sound better in your voice. Maybe that's what you need to make a good movie, though. You need like to have a good music and a bad music. The music is brilliant in this, as it there always is. There is no bad music in this in this film. I meant as in like bad people music. I mean, you know? The Hanlea theme is brilliant. It plays at the end as they're staring out of the window, and you're wondering. How is this all gonna go out for the rebellion? Can we edit a video of Han and Leia, but no, to the tune Rabavi? No, no, no. <laughs> Rabavi. There's one one thing I actually when I rewatched it the other day, one thing that occurred to me at the time was so what you've got is Han and Leia, they're stuck on the Millennium Falcon and they're running away from Star Destroyers, fine. But Luke just steals an X Wing and flies off and like completely upends the chain of command. And he's never like chastised for it. 
you know, the, the rebellion isn't like an organization, isn't it? You know, it's it's got a hierarchy and stuff, and Luke is part of that hierarchy. He just so, doesn't go to the rendezvous point. He doesn't, yeah. And then he turns up later with like no hand and an X Wing that's full of like swamp gunk and, and nothing <laughs> happens to him. Although no, he loses the X Wing because he leaves it behind on Cloud City, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so like I don't know, every X Wing counts in this. Yeah, conflict. he's lost a valuable piece of rebel hardware. Yeah. Um, I've always wondered about that, uh, and even like Return of the Jedi after freeing Han from Jabba's palace, which is surely a waste of you know rebel resources because he takes like everyone, you know, <laughs> with you know Leia. I, mean, I suppose Leia has some like authority, but like I don't know Lando. No one cares about him at that point. Well, Lando's so made a general think, just because it turns up. But it, you think that Luke should have been court-martialed for his actions? I think so. It should have been like, right, once this new hand's installed and you've had a minute to get oh, used to it, we'll, we'll um, you know, at, at the end of Star Trek Four, even though Kirk saved the Earth from a whale probe, he gets court-martialed because in the previous film he stole the Enterprise and then blew it up. Well, we've always said if you believe in nothing, Craig, you believe in protocol. <laughs> That's me, all protocol. But it's, it's something I kind of wonder about. And when I was thinking... If you think about it in Last Jedi, in particular, or even just in this film, where it's, you know, you've got these these people that are these religious fanatics, in effect, who are using the resources of these powerful organizations to further their own own ends, and then and they never suffer for it at all. They just get, you know, you don't get anyone in the Empire or the First Order saying things like, "Why are we listening to these religious nuts? Why can't we just like kill them and get on with it?" get on with our domination on our own. Domination, nation, nation. It's just, again, it's a thought from someone that's seen these films far too many times. Yeah. <laughs> but there is, surely there there must be something. It's like, cheers for losing the X-Wing, Luke. You know, um, you're no longer Red Leader. You're demoted to Red 5 again. Was that the same X-Wing that he used to destroy the Death Star? I'm sure that's been bronzed and put in a museum or something like that. Well, yeah, because I was thinking they probably want that for the Rebel War Museum. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Uh, But he loses it anyway and wrecks it by crashing it in a swamp. (laughs) And I'm sure I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but I remember when I was younger, I used to enjoy watching the... (laughs) <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back because I like it. I like scenes where in films or TV shows where people go into water for some reason. So I quite enjoy, <laughs> I enjoyed that part. So you know, people go so, for a swim. So you like watching the Crystal Maze whenever they had to go to the underwater zone. Yeah, yeah, it was always exciting. And whenever they went in any of those levels where you had to dunk yourself under, I just had fa- this fascination with fiction where people had to swim. For that's. For, Parts of the film. That's quite odd. No, because in Tomb Raider game, when you have to swim, it always scared me. This was pre Tomb Raider. So, right, let's just keep track. You like films where people have to go in water for part of it, but you don't like food that looks like faces. Yep. Ah, (laughs) There's like a lenticular postcard at work, which would be perfect for you. I'm going to get it. No is fact. it that famous painting that looks like a face? Yes, but it like moves because it's lenticular. Oh. No, Craig really wouldn't like that. Hmm. What if it was like framed really nicely? Sounds horrific. No. 
It does. Add it to the spreadsheet. <laughs> Add it to the spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, what spreadsheet? Of Craig things. Mm. <laughs> things to know about Craig. Yeah. yeah. It's only so are years. there any other standout films you can think of that feature people going into water? No. Um, water World? Water World? No, yeah. no, that's... Oh, I don't think too much, Fugitive? Too much water? Fugitive. No, you're, you're talking about me when I'm, I don't know, like six or... Even young, well, probably younger than that, probably like four years old or something like that. Uh, I guess I must have used to like going swimming. So whenever I saw fictional characters also swimming, I thought it was cool. You were like, oh, they're probably having some fun. Yeah, they're yeah, swimming about. I mean, Luke does only swim for like a couple of seconds in this film. Princess Bride, she's she's in the water in that. Uh, I used to love Stingray. I would have been that age. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know, I quite like the idea of things that shouldn't be in water crashing into water as well. So like the X-Wing. No. Maybe it's because I like to play with toys in the bath. I don't know. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, and then instantly ruin them because they're die-cast metal and the paint runs. <laughs> my, my Stingray toy, for some reason, was not built to be put in water. Uh, I had a great Matchbox car that like changed um, colour because of uh, you know different heat, different temperatures. Uh, but I played with it in the it bath because the hot water would change the colour of the thing, but then it rusted and yeah, <laughs> such a shame. You're only supposed to drop what put droplets on it. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned that in the hard way. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, so we've gone massively off topic once again. <laughs> uh, but listeners, you've had a brief insight into my mind which may be good, may not be good. <laughs> but I, I like it when things... Can say into your beautiful childhood. Like, into a, into I think childhood. People, can, yeah. people can relate. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Oh, oh, I knew that was going to the whole place. Okay, so um, I, think, I think it's probably time to wrap up. Uh, any other kind of points that I didn't cover or we didn't cover? throughout this to um, to unpack before um, the end I have one more point this film above any other with uh, possibly one close exception um, makes me feel the most hopeless I ever have watching films <laughs> and I timed it when I was watching it the other day just to see how uh, how long this feeling lasts but then compared to how long it makes me feel like it's lasting, it's once Luke gets his hand cut off and he's at his lowest point and, you know, he's he's uh, saying, no, no, it's impossible. Uh, it's four and a half minutes from him losing his hand, falling down that shaft in Cloud City all the way to the bottom, trying to climb back up, having the, um, the hatch close on him and, close. yeah, dangling off of those aerials at the bottom. Four and a half minutes until he drops into the hatch and the, the falcon and in that four and a half minutes I can feel totally hopeless and it feels like a lifetime rather than four and a half minutes if you're like this is how how is he gonna escape this how is he gonna how is he gonna be saved yeah. and the only other feeling I get like that is when I'm watching Jaws and the orca starts <laughs> to sink and you're like no there's no way they can get out of this and of course Robert Shaw doesn't because he gets totally chomped yeah. but <laughs> You know, you're like, Spoiler and that's, 
Yeah, sorry. Um, and that doesn't last all that long either, but it's funny how it can seem like so long because just because of the way that the film is making you feel. You know, you're really kind of right in there with the characters. And as we've kind of touched on, I think Hamill's performance of selling it and everything, the music, the, the visuals, all just kind of adds up to that feeling. And, and that's what really kind of marks the end of this movie for me is just that, like, the real downer and... Uh, I suppose that's one of the sort of standout points of it is, the, is this kind of dark chapter in the in the trilogy, um, but then it makes the it makes the sort of redemption and the the victory at the end of Jedi even sweeter. Spoilers yeah. for Jedi. And it's and it is very much the the combination of the you know the the perfect trilogy point. You know, you're at the middle of the trilogy. The characters are at their lowest point and they've nowhere to go but up. Yeah. And it's something that every Everyone who's making a trilogy since then tries to um, tries to ape with limited success. Um, Last Jedi is a bit like this in the terms of you know there's a little bit of hope at the end, but they've lost so much. And um, one one thing that now occurs to me that I watch this, I think this is the first time I've seen this film since the Force Awakens came out, is that someone on the surface of Bespin finds that lightsaber and it's still working. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever get an explanation? No. Well, no, I think we will. Uh, <laughs> doing it next. So I don't think it will be a good explanation, but I think we'll mm. get one. Mm. Yeah, so it'll all be tied up. Yeah, tied up in a neat little package. Yeah, I, I do. I, yeah, there are feelings of bleakness towards the end of this film. And I, I seem to remember being younger and seeing Luke hanging off this antenna and thinking, if that were me, I'd be dead. <laughs> no way I could hang on like that. You know, and yeah. yeah. I know, and and like like I said, it's not even for that long and yet it can feel so extended, just this feeling of hopelessness because he's at his, the utter lowest point. And it ends on a hopeful Great. note as well. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's still quite a morbid note though, because you don't know what's happening and they are still at quite a low point, but they clearly have some plan. We'll meet you at the rendezvous point on Tatooine in some years' time. Yeah, I don't know. and even though he gets a replacement hand that, for all intents and purposes, it functions exactly the same as his previous one, looks the same. Uh, you know, he's just experienced this massive trauma, and you know it's not that long until he until well, in screen time until he's almost back to normal, you know, physically, yeah. uh, and yet it still feels like this massive loss. Yeah, but he's even just morbid. Well, you know the. The droid is just stabbing his fingers really, <laughs> to make sure they're working, and you know he has that kind of look of defeat on his face. Yeah, because he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't won. He survived, which is a victory mm-hmm. in itself. But um, he's learned this massive thing. He's aware of the fact that uh, someone has lied to him, or people have lied to him, his entire life. Um, I mean, they contrast that with the start of the film, where he thinks his father was a Jedi hero. <laughs> Because that's what that's what uh, Obi Wan told him. He was a great pilot and he was a good friend and all this stuff. So he'd been lied to about his father up to that point, and then he finds out, oh, he was a Jedi. That's really cool. That's something to aspire to, and he looks up to that. and And then he learns his father is an evil, tyrannical dictator that um, cuts his hand off. And then he remembers that his father ordered the death of his. Beloved aunt and uncle, yes, well, who no, he did not mourn. 
all those years ago. Doesn't had anything to do with that. He was in charge. Uh, yeah, he would have been, but I don't know if he was directly responsible for that. You never find out. <laughs> it's okay. I was just trying to tie it back to his lack of uh, emotion at yeah. Uncle Owen and yeah. Fun fact about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which also has a podcast that may or may not be published by the time you listen to this. I have no idea. It depends if I can get the work done or when I get the work done. Uh, (laughs) But uh, during Phase 2 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is things like uh, Thor 2, Iron Man 3, um, and so on, uh, you have someone lose a hand in all of those films. All of the Phase 2 films, someone loses an arm or a hand. Very, because, you know, very because, Star Wars-y. Well, it was a deliberate reference to The Empire Strikes Back, apparently. Which then because, the prequel films all did as well. Yeah. Well, maybe not all of them. But there's yeah. dismemberment. There's a, quite a lot of dismemberment. There's a, there's a lot of dismemberment, but yeah. Uh, because the they see the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 2 as... Part two of a trilogy, if you count the whole universe as being a trilogy that's building to something, which it mm. is. And uh, so phase two, everyone loses a hand at some point. I mean, no one actually loses a hand. I think in Iron Man 3, it's like Guy Pierce, So whatever. No one cares. <laughs> and it grows back like a minute later. And uh, in um, Thor 2, it's fake. You know, Thor yep. doesn't actually lose a hand. And in Winter Soldier, well, Bucky in the past loses his hand. And then in Age of Ultron, Andy Serkis. Mm. And I can't remember who loses it in Guardians of the Galaxy. Someone, Groot? Someone's bound. Yes. He must grow a hand back. Uh, he, he loses them all the time. Yeah, There we go. So that's it. Uh, other than hopelessness, hopelessness, any wrap-up thoughts? Natalie? Yeah? Wrap-up. What was the quote you were going to throw at us? Oh, yeah. Well, I want Already to forgot. Lane. So, got that quote right now. If you don't mind. Okay. It's by a guy that you might have heard of. And the quote is The enemy is fear. We think it is hate, but it is fear. Profound. And who said that? Have a guess? I don't know. Darth Vader. <laughs> what? Darth Vader. When? This film? No, I'm joking. It's Gandhi. Oh, okay. <laughs> Gandhi Calrissian. Gandhi. Gandhi Calrissian. Yoda Gandhi. Gandhi. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Um, As for this movie, yes, I only watched part of it the other day. I didn't watch the whole thing, so I don't really. You have seen it before, though. Yeah, I have. All I kept on thinking, like the whole time that I was watching it, was, "Oh, this is like a scene that Bad Lip Breeding used for like a song." So now when I watch it, I just think of um, like that scene when. Okay, so Han Solo's gone out looking for Luke, who's like in the snow, and Chewie's like, Leia's like, okay, close the doors, I guess like they're not coming back tonight, and Chewie like leans against 
something and he's like oh and it just made me think of um the opening line in one of the blr songs which is fantastic which is how you consume 90 percent of your star wars content these days <laughs> i think it's what most people get all of their star wars content from and i wouldn't blame them because it condenses them into such a beautiful way i think box and office catchy. receipts disagree with you <laughs> well, they just haven't been BLR'd BLR'd yet. Yeah. Perhaps not. Can we? Oh, we have to. I've sent you like a list of recommended hashtags, but one of them has to be. Um, what is it? This is not the future. It's not the future. Mm-hmm. It's not the future. <laughs> and if you don't know it, although I'm quite sure you know it, you need to know it because it's it's beautiful. Cool. I will look into that. Do you know it? No. Oh my god. Okay. I have to be honest with you. I'm surprised. <laughs> well, it's good to know that after all this time, I can still surprise you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm done. On that note, yeah, I'd say it's time to end. So, no final points from anyone? Nothing more to say, apart from wonderful hopelessness. Wonderful hopelessness. Well, join us next year to find out the thrilling conclusion to this story. Yeah. Teddies. Teddies and and, uh, lots of parodiable lines from Ian McDermott. (laughs) So many gifts as well. I think that this film has given us so many gifts. Yeah. Gifable. So gifable. Yep. Wonderful hand solo gifts. (laughs) Dot com. Is that actually a website? No. Oh, well, that's a shame. Buy the rights to that, though, because I don't want that getting uh, getting out there yeah, quite, before this the podcast do- is released. Buy the domain now. What is it? To wonderfulhandsologifts.com. <laughs> it's not particularly catchy. I think we should come up with something better. Yeah, but I don't know. In case someone usurps it, buy the domain right now. Just yeah. so you've got it. You know, you can redirect to whatever the better one you come up with is. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Okay, so, Angus, thank you for joining on this expansion of the Star Wars universe thank you Natalie thanks for showing up in the middle and making loads of noise as usual sorry (laughs) thank you guys and we will Star Wars again next year next year may the fourth be with you that was our discussion on the Empire Strikes Back happy Star Wars day everyone and a special thanks to YouTubers 331ERock and Victor Hugo Morales Avilan for the supplied music if you like what you heard here then hit that subscribe button on iTunes YouTube or any major podcasting app and join us on the next Neil Before Pod may the fourth be with you always always